All right, let's get started.、Um, so, welcome. It's my pleasure to introduce Miss Morgan Princing.、Um, she's a solution engineer at Census, focused on identifying trends and tracking、uh, tr tracking threat groups and vulnerabilities using Census data. Her career in cybersecurity began in botnet detection, where she worked to protect websites. APIs and mobile apps from bots by detecting、um, anomalies in web traffic and interrogating user identification system. Morgan holds a Bachelor of Arts in Economics, Urban Studies from University of Michigan. Morgan is a 2019 World IT Award winner for Women in Security. So、uh, remember, if you want to ask questions, please press the push button on the speaker so that your question will be recorded. Thank you. That would've been bad.、Uh, so nice to be here.、Um, wonderful introduction.、I'm、going to talk a little bit just about some of those security risks that we can identify using internet-wide scan data. And if you do have questions, again, yeah, you can click the button and, and stop me at any time. We'll leave a little time at the end as well. All right. Let's make sure I can get to the next slide. Okay, so、uh, a little background. You know, kind of touched on it earlier. What Dave said, but、uh, I live in the city of Detroit. A lot of my history has been、uh, in this space around bot detection.、Um, I spent about five years doing that at the web application level.、Um, while doing bot detection, I was a security analyst, so just really digging into a lot of web log traffic,、uh, trying to isolate what is or is not a bot request.、Um, I worked for a lot of airline clients. A lot of、uh, classified listing clients that were just getting scraped a lot, or even financial institutions who were subject to credential stuffing attacks.、Um, also, on, like most of my headspace at that time was around the web application layer,、um, but then I joined a company called Census, and that was founded by the、uh, founders of ZMap, which came out of the University of Michigan. We'll talk a little bit about that, but since joining them,、um, a lot of my Thinking process has been around security problems that we can there that can be solved at the network layer, and that's where you know all the scanning happens. Okay, so we can talk about internet-wide scanning. Has anybody here used Shodan or Census or Zoomai in the past? Okay, good, a handful of people. Awesome.、Uh, has anyone by chance deployed their own instance of ZMap? Oh, okay, great, <laughs> Christina, wonderful.、Um, probably a little bit of a painful process, but basically, what internet-wide scanning is is we are scanning, you know, all of the IPv4 internet space, and we collect that data, and we have a search engine. You know, most of these companies have search engine on top of it, allowing researchers, you know, or companies to use it for a variety of different purposes. So, a quick history、um, of internet-wide scanning. You know, in the 2000s, really around 2002.、Uh, Researchers realized, hey, Google's indexing a bunch of these web pages, and because they're indexing these web pages, we can start to search for security keywords, not just you know Sims cheat codes or something else that was popular in 2002.、Um, and as a result, you could say, hey, I'm searching for admin login portal, and what's going to show up is a bunch of sites that might have an admin login portal exposed. So that kind of started to popularize the idea of. I can look for security problems outside of my own website and look more broadly at kind of the internet、um, as a whole. 2004, Shadow Server、uh, was founded by a group of volunteers, 
and they are kind of looking to, again, enhance the overall security of the internet by popularizing internet-wide data and security instances that are happening across a bunch of different sites. Then in around 2009 comes a company called Shodan. They are great. Um, they really kind of popularized a lot of the IoT devices that are exposed on the internet. So popular, you know, it's like, hey, guess what? There's uh, traffic lights that are exposed to the internet. There's medical devices that have x-rays on them exposed to the internet. Uh, and so big publishers like Forbes, CNN, it kind of came in the spotlight as people were saying, oh my gosh, we don't know what is out there. Uh, and then in 2012, um, ZMAP was started at the University of Michigan. So ZMAP was developed by Zakir Drumrich, and really what that did is it took scanning the internet, which some people had been able to do, but he was able to do it in 45 minutes with this new technology, which is uber fast, right? It allowed you to do that and get that data available, you know, make that much more available along with being able to have most up-to-date and fresh information. And so ZMAP turned into Census. Uh, the founders joined that team. 2013, we see a few other companies, Project Sonar, ZoomI, um, FOA, you know, some Chinese players that are coming into the space as well. And then around 2017, we've got Gray Noise coming in. So Gray Noise is a little bit different. Basically, what they're doing is saying, hey, we've got these scanning companies that are popular. We need to make sure that uh, there's no spoofers in the space, right? If you're allowing your website to be hit by scanners, uh, you don't want somebody that's like maliciously spoofing it. And so they do a good job of kind of phasing out that nuance. It's like a Gen 2 almost. Okay, so what makes that special? Like why is internet scanning as a whole important? Um, really, it's because it's, it's a pretty difficult problem to solve. If anyone's used Nmap in the past, um, Nmap is awesome, but it's really difficult to keep state. You know, it just doesn't scale well and keeping state is very challenging. Um, if you're using classic methods like connect, the scans don't really scale either, right? You're asking the kernel to keep many connections open and that can get quite messy. The other thing is if you are trying to linearly scan the internet, uh, you know, just go 0 .0 .0 0 0.0.0.1 to 0.0.0.2, you're going to get blocked very quickly. Uh, you're gonna run across a company that has, you know, a net block in that space and they're gonna say, what are you doing here? You know, and that data becomes um, inconsistent. And so there's a lot of challenges that happen and that's why it's wonderful. Um, we've got a few different companies in the space that can provide that data and kind of push the boundaries of what is able to be done so that people can use it easily. So that's a little background on internet-wide scanning. Today we'll talk about um, you know, some applications of using that data. A lot of this is available um, with free accounts. So if you, you know, haven't, don't have an account on Shodan or Census, I encourage you to use it. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. But we'll talk about specifically threat hunting, vulnerability trends, and using internet-wide scan data um, to understand attack surfaces. Okay, so threat hunting. Uh, this is the space that's been like most embraced, I would say, by uh, internet-wide, or they most embrace internet-wide scan data. Um, it's helpful just being able to search for different threat actors and monitor their behavior over time. Uh, as they, you know, tracking their moves is something that governments and different corporations are honestly dedicating entire teams to do so. Um, it's a bit of a where's Waldo, I would say, but in this instance, Waldo, or I guess this is Walda, uh, <laughs> is a bit of a shapeshifter who's moving you know, through a rapidly changing internet. So it becomes a really, a much more complicated problem 
Um, it's not the 80s with Where's Waldo books anymore. But if you're looking to how do you start with threat hunting, um, generally, you know, internet-wide scan data is massive. If you're looking for the entire IPv4 space, um, just contextually, that's about 7.4 terabytes worth of data. So you really need a game plan of like, what are you looking for? What are the things that will help you identify different threat groups that you might be tracking? And so generally how people do this is they look for IOCs or indicators of compromise um, that you can queue off and start to like find those different attack groups. For Waldo, those IOCs would be, you know, striped shirt, glasses, palm hat, a little smile on his face. Um, so that's kind of what you're trying to look for. When you're looking for threat groups, um, you know, this is one of the easiest ways. We'll talk kind of about looking for an IOC of just the phrase hacked by. So some groups um, are, you know, will advertise themselves and say, hey, if we hack into your, your website, we're going to take over the title of the page and say we're hacked by this group. And they kind of have this publicity stunt. Um, it's almost like the tagging of the cyber world. And it's pretty, pretty fun to track. I enjoy it. Um, and you know, this happens all the time. If you've been reading the news recently, uh, you probably saw that this happened a few weeks ago to one of the US government sites. Uh, was hacked by a group that self-identified as the Iran cybersecurity group hackers. And so you can see right in the page title, there's the phrase hacked by. Um, and this is something that we grab and parse in our internet scans. So it's as easy as saying, hey, I want to search for this phrase. And voila, we get some details on it. So we can do that if we pull this up here. Maybe. All right, cool. So this is um, the census search interface. You can see here, I just put in, uh, we're going to look in port 80 for, you know, in this HTTP protocol. And we're going to do a quick regex here for just hacked by uh, or port 443. A similar thing, looking for that, again, phrase hacked by. And you can see right now we're getting 82 results. Um, and, you know, there's a variety of different things. This is both has, you know, database exposed. We've got a variety of um, instances where this, you know, this particular group looks like they've recently done some activity. And so all this data is within the past seven days. You know, things that were live on the internet, um, at least in the past seven days, maybe sooner. So you can start to dig into this. And you know, when you're on here as well, if you click this open, you can get a bunch of data about what was happening on the server at that time. So it's pretty fun. Uh, let's get back to a second here and see if I can figure out how to get back to the presentation. And I should also say that this is something um, that you can do with an API as well. So both Shodan, Census, you know, most of these major internet scanning companies have an API that allows you to do very similar searches and you know, pull that data down into um, different formats if you're looking for that. So a little bit of research that we've done on this. You know, this was uh, later in December. We were looking at some of those groups and you know, who is um, Who's that group that's like announcing themselves as, as hacked by? Uh, from like an anthropological standpoint, I find this to be quite interest, interesting. Uh, there's groups like telling us a little bit about themselves. 
Uh, there's all sorts of naming conventions for these groups. Oftentimes, if you actually go to the websites, which I wouldn't recommend unless you're doing that in a sandbox, um, there's generally a bunch of like ASCII art and things of that nature too. So, uh, you know, there's a bunch of artifacts around who these groups are and what they're trying to, to accomplish. Uh, you can see here there are some groups that are just announcing, hey, we attacked you by this CVE, and you probably should fix this. You know, this has been around since 2016. Um, by the way, that is the dirty cow exploit, which was, you know, an issue that impacted the Linux kernel. But, you know, there's also groups here. Um, this Alidus Tim is pretty interesting. We see him, like, working alongside someone in almost all of his attacks. So it's like hacked by him as well as somebody else. Maybe it's, you know, almost like a co-hacker in a way. So there's a lot of different things that can you know, be tracked in terms of what's going on more socially with these different groups. I'll also say like one of my colleagues uses this, and he does a cool program where he will pipe these IPs into Aquatone and then do a flyover uh, screenshot tool to be able to say what are the um, actual screenshots of the websites look like, and then uses that with some image processing. So cool things that you can start to do. And that's you know, some of the more basic ones, but you can also start to track those who maybe don't want to be found. And those get a little bit more complicated, I would say. Um, sorry, I my... And so to track some of these groups that don't want to be found, um, generally like I will go to, in a lot of groups that are doing this professionally, go to MITRE and the attack uh, attack uh, framework, and they'll look for some of those big wigs that the governments are tracking. And so this is just a list from MITRE in terms of some of their groups that they're following. They generally have a bunch of IOCs on the site, and they also have software and things like that that they are most commonly associated with, different malware samples, things of that nature. There's a lot of them. So let's say we wanted to track uh, Drydex. So actually, Drydex, um, U.S. prosecutors just recently have brought down and brought charges against somebody uh, behind the Drydex command and control um, operator. This was a form of malware that was specializing in stealing bank credentials via um, macros that would go through Microsoft Word. And as they actually uh, are prosecuting for them, they accuse this man of also kind of being behind a group called Evil Corp. And in general, they are you know, saying that it's been $100 million, um, in stolen revenue since 2015. So if we want to start tracking Drydex, um, you know, we need to start searching for some different IOCs. And so what you can look for is uh, bad SSL as a tool that will start to give different SSL certificates. And you can actually filter some of these by different attack groups. OK, so Drydex. So we've got a bunch of different SSL certs. We can see that these are a little bit old. Um, 2018, we've got a SHA-1 listing here. So I grabbed these and put them into um, Google BigQuery, which is a way that we actually, all of census data goes into Google BigQuery um, that we can start to query this. But because we've got a long list of them, I'll put it in here and say, hey, we want to understand um, what are some of the certificate attributes uh, that these attackers are using. So when census scans the internet and when a lot of these groups are scanning, you also do a, a TLS handshake to grab a certificate. And so we've got a bunch of this data going back to about 2015 now. So when I run this, I'm going to start to pull some of this data around um, the issuer, the subject, 
some of the validity lengths, things of that nature, and we can see what we find. I'll let that run for a moment. And I'll also kind of contextualize this that um, I did check, and none of these certificates are currently live. So these were ones that had previously been associated with that group. Um, if it was as easy as if they're live on a host, we could start to profile that host and say, what are attributes about this host? Can we find related hosts? But because they're not live, we want to go through and start to find, okay, can we find other certificates that they might be using to then go and see if those are live anywhere. All right, so we've got a bunch of data back. Um, and then generally what you want to do, or what we recommend here is starting to see some commonalities and can we find anything that stands out in terms of maybe this is an attribute that belongs to this, this group in terms of how they set up their configurations. So a few things looking at this, we do see on um, this subject, Dan, if you look kind of and we scroll over, in, I'm noticing that these start to match. The subject Dan and the issuer Dan are matching in all of these uh, in all of these certificates, which is fairly interesting, right? Like maybe that's something we can queue off of. Another thing looking at this, um, all of these validity lengths seem to be somewhat common, right? And we see all the same here just in that first scroll. We've got 99 things to look through, but they look somewhat similar here. We've got some fingerprints. Um, and the other thing is they all have one name on the certificate. So, you know, one name might be also something we can look at. And so generally what we can start to do is um, like a really basic attribution analysis. And this is a place where, um, you know, I've worked with a lot of groups that use census data and companies that, you know, buy this data from us. And they're doing very rudimentary analysis with some spreadsheets just to try to see what's going on. There's, I think, lots of room for this to be more statistically sound. But one of this, you know, this is a really basic example of saying, all right, let's look at instances where we see certificates where the subject DN is issued to the exact same as the issuer DN. And inside of this small test group of 100 certificates that were associated with Drydex, we see 100% of them have that attribute. Now, looking at all of the certs that we see in census, which is every cert that was issued or was live on a host since 2015, we see about 4.5% of those certificates have that attribute. The other um, things that we were looking at was one name on a certificate. Again, 100% of these, um, these test certificates had that case. We've got a much larger number, though, where that's the case um, of all of the other certificates. The validity length seems to be quite isolating, though. And then when you aggregate all three of these features together, we start to see that, hey, this is something that 99.6% of all of the certificates have, but if you look at all of the certificates, we've reduced that down to you know, under 1% of all of the certificates for us to then further look into. And so what you're ultimately looking for when you're doing threat hunting like this is you want something that's both accurate and precise, right? I would say that kind of based on this analysis, we start to get something that's somewhat precise. We're able to say, hey, it looks like these features are fairly um, unique to the certificates that were associated with Drydex. But we don't know yet if they're accurate. We don't know if that's, when we look at those, if they're actually going to correspond to that attacker infrastructure or not. To do that is hard, right? Now we need to look at those certificates and look at the hosts. And we probably need to set up a honeypot to see if we're seeing requests come in from those hosts 
and see what kind of behavior those hosts are exhibiting to see if they would actually belong to this attacker group. But generally, you know, companies that are doing this or governments that are doing this, this is a little bit along the lines of how they're using this data, is trying to find instances that we can start to track and then say, hey, are there things that we can find on the internet that might actually belong to them? And what do we do if we find them? Any questions on that? Yeah? Have you seen behavior changes in those hosts after um, the big data and the big data collection has been targeting those specific key factors? Have you seen changes in those factors over time? Right, so you're asking if once somebody maybe has been impacted by a threat group, do we see changes? Uh, no. Um, I was wondering if the threat group specifically changes their methods in, for example, setting the issuer and the, everything else as the same or the, the lengths and everything like that. They do. They change it all the time. And so it is almost, um, and that's, it's a frustrating game, right? Like you're waking up every morning and fighting the same fight again where we see something that's changed and then you have to start queuing off of new IOCs. And it can be hard to find, you know, sometimes groups just go completely dark and it's probably because they've changed a bunch of stuff and you have to start figuring out, okay, what's next? What are the next little, you know, beacons that we can understand from Alien Vault maybe or some other types of Intel sources that are telling you about these groups? Very challenging. And that's where maybe, you know, it, there's, I think, opportunity machine learning at some point potentially to start to be a little more sophisticated with the modeling. I would say right now a lot of the customers we see aren't doing, aren't doing all of that. Any other questions? Oh, can you click the mic button? <laughs> oh, push. Okay, sorry. Uh, do you work? Uh, do you um, get information from the block listing services, or um, or do you work with them? Or? Around what sites are being blacklisted? Um, you know, what IPs? Yes, or domain names like Spam House. Oh yes, so. Us as a scanning company, we don't get a lot of that detail, but as we are um, people that are buying our data and using our data, oftentimes we'll use that potentially as an IOC, right? And so if there are names that are coming in and have been blacklisted because they've been associated with phishing attempts or have been associated with different scams, that is oftentimes something you can start to queue off of. And you can find those both in uh, the names on the certificates is one way to link that. There's also certain times where if you get an email come in and you're a security on the security team coming from that domain, um, you know you can start to find in the IP associated with that domain and then track that I, that IP on Census or another scanning platform. Great question. Um, also, when you see the um, you're thinking about how this is going to be applied and more automated in the future, do you see that coming from private or more government at this point? for tracking these threats? A little bit of both. So generally, we see if you're a very large company, sometimes they will have threat hunting teams. And they find this to be useful because they generally are like, hey, it's a better investment for us to have teams tracking this so that if we start to have you know, those handful of certificates that we found there, they might start to say, OK, if we see any IP that has that certificate, we're going to isolate that request and do something different before they can come into our system. So they have some incentive, I think, 
from a, hey, we're protecting our systems. Um, the government is doing that at a much larger scale as they are tracking even nation states or you know, some of those huge groups and trying to do prosecution across them. Mm -hmm. So hard to say where that will come from. Um, and maybe it is happening in some ways too, like some of the, what we have in terms of visibility is, is limited too. All right. So now we can talk a little bit about vulnerability trends. Uh, this graphic, I laugh at. So we recently subscribed to like a fire hose of CVEs that are coming in above 7.5 because we do some research around that with our data. And it is just overwhelming the number of CVEs that come in. And so we sympathize a lot with people in security spaces where you just can be flooded with vulnerabilities. But we'll talk about a few of them. Um, this was one, the Exim vulnerability that came out in about September or so. And so Exim is a um, mail authenticator, uh, mail server, and this CVE was a uh, on 10 in the CVSS score and allowed for unauthenticated root code execution with root access to the email server, which are all very scary bad words uh, in the security world. And you can see here, this is a little graphic by uh, Project Sonar and it's just like overwhelmingly, most of these went unpatched and were just, almost all of the uh, versions were affected by this. So using internet-wide scan data, you can start to see what are these trends in different vulnerabilities that, um, that are released. And so this is looking for um, this XM. It's everything that was uh, version 4.92, um, and below, which at the time that was the most up-to-date version. So it was a really a very large CVE impact. And so we're looking here at um, you know, a few different protocols. I think we've got one other one included in this search. Yeah, we're looking at um, 4.65 and 5.87. But you can see here, this is returning around 2 million still IPs have XM running that you know are more than likely affected by, by this very severe CVE. And so this is something that, you know, tracking these over time, seeing some of the adoption rates of patches has a lot of, you know, interesting data that people can be, um, can be looking into. And then similarly, um, this was one for SharePoint. So this allowed people to take like complete control access of their SharePoint servers, which impacted a lot of their Microsoft products, also quite scary. And you can see this one, we did some research about just uh, over time, what some of the patch cycles were. It's much smaller in scale, but it was, you know, it just is hard to patch some of this stuff and it's harder to see what, um, you know, what might need to be patched can be, can be challenging. So we see that trend a little bit here. And again, oh, if you click on this, oh, sorry. Maybe not. <laughs> well, we can even just do this, right? Putting in SharePoint here. This allows you to do just a random, you know, a strong text search. Likely what we want this to be is a specific version number. Um, but you can see, you know, this takes in a lot of different, a lot of different versions and allows you to see some of those, those trends over time. So in terms of security research, uh, this can be helpful uh, just to kind of get some contextualized information about what is actually live on, on the internet right now. All right. 
So one thing that you can do too, um, and generally when we're running these searches around vulnerabilities, a lot of times people want to know, okay, cool, that's great to understand uh, around internet-wide trends, but also what are things that are I'm impacted? And that's a, I think that's a big question and somewhere where the internet-wide scan space is kind of going is to say, great, you have all this internet or all this data about the internet, show me everything that impacts me. And so that's very, you know, it's a challenging problem to solve because now not only are you having to um, reliably scan the internet, but you also have to start to attribute things to a particular company or to an organization. And that becomes a question of like, how do we reliably say that we think this host that belongs to you is really similar in ways to this other host and maybe that's something that indicates ownership. So on a basic level, if we go back to, um, let's look back at this vulnerability that we had up for Exum. Cool. So it's in some ways it's as easy as just, you can add a uh, thing if we wanna say Purdue. I haven't done the search, this is a little live demo. But you can start to just add a domain name to that, right? And then you start to get a few things back. And that allows like a basic, very simple look into saying, hey, we can find um, you know, some things here that allows more actionable insights around those CVEs and say, all right, this is something that now, as an institution, you can take action on. But there's other things too, right? Like if we go back and you were trying to profile an entire attack surface, and that's like a phrase that is just generally meaning like what is exposed to the internet and what is something that you can start to, um, you know, could be an impact of people getting into your system. You know, there's lots of ways you can do this. And so if we just go back and we say, hey, purdue.edu, this is maybe the most rudimentary way to do so. We get 217 results. But we see over here that there's some AS numbers that are also indicating Purdue, and so we can pretty confidently say that's something that would be owned by this, uh, by Purdue. So we can say autonomous system is, let's get that number, 17. So you can run some really complex, gnarly queries up in here. Uh, it does support regex, and uh, you can do a lot of anding and oring. So if you're playing around with this, and again, you can, you can create free accounts and, and experiment. Don't be shy to, to add a bunch of stuff up here. All right, so let's add these two ASNs and see what we can, we can fill out. Okay, so now we're getting about 4,000 more assets. Um, the other thing you can look into is starting to fill in this space using um, certificate data. So this organization is equal to Purdue. Maybe this is something we want to include as a keyword and say, show me everything where we've got O equal to Purdue University come up. Okay, we grew a little bit there as well. So now, you know, this is, this is fairly simple, but you start to see, hey, this is, these are a bunch of data about one institution. And if you go down the side here, you know, you can start to see well, we've got a bunch of different protocols that are running. There might be things like printers or there's you know, all sorts of stuff that can be exposed to the internet that would be um, maybe surprising, maybe not surprising depending on how much you play around with internet data. But 
uh, there's a lot of things that you can start to dig into. And, you know, this is, I think, again, moving a little bit more into some of these different applications. Internet-wide scanning is a fairly, a fairly new concept. There's lots of different ways you can start to use this, but understanding, hey, what are the things that I own and maybe I'm not tracking explicitly is, is one, of those, um, one of those newer applications of the data. You can also start to say, hey, what are the, what's the map look like, right? We've got Purdue infrastructure running all over the US. It's kind of fun. You can pull up some metadata reports as well. Hey, Morgan. Yeah. What sorts of things, so, um, what sorts of things would these organizations be concerned about? Like on, like you've, you kind of showed some of the ports and protocols and stuff like yeah. that, but what would, what would they find concerning? Right, and so let's look back at the results of that. Um, generally, you know, you would expect things running on, you know, uh, port 84, port 3, if you've got HTTP and HTTPS, that's very expected. Most people are not going to blink an eye at that. It's like, hey, these are web servers that are running. Um, a lot of people, and <laughs> admittedly all uh, educational institutions have a very colorful attack surface, I would say. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but generally things like, if you've got a telnet, um, instance exposed, like that's pretty scary. And a lot of people don't, wouldn't want that and want that to be you know, internal or just taken offline in general. Um, if you've got you know, a database, that's also quite scary. Somebody can quickly probably authenticate into that database and then you've got a bunch of data that could be PII exposed and that you know, could cause lots of implications. Um, some of these like embedded devices or cameras, you know, Generally, you don't want to take any, any risks with that kind of stuff in terms of personal information. Um, so a lot of times we would advise companies to say, you know, you have your own rules, you kind of have your own understanding of what is okay within your security posture, but anything outside of, um, you know, HTTP, HTTPS, uh, you know, strongly secured SSH potentially, all of that's generally things you'd want to start, you know, anything except those would be some things you want to look into. And I guess one other thought on that too is as companies are moving to the cloud and both cloud and remote workforces pose some other challenges too. So cloud space, if you are um, putting assets into the cloud, there's oftentimes a lack of visibility there of what's going on. And so that is another indicator of like, hey, maybe we have many cloud environments that exist. Is that what we would expect? Maybe yes, maybe no. Any other questions? All right. Well, I would recommend, um, you know, there's lots of different applications for this. Again, if you guys, I would say, uh, feel free to create free accounts. If you're doing any type of research on, you know, with this data as well, I would rec uh, we offer some research access to our data, which gives you you know, we scan for more than a thousand ports. Um, you get full access to it if you're doing research. So, if you you know send us a note on census.io, there's kind of a research at email. So let us know. And if you're doing anything cool, also reach out to us. We love to read some of the papers and things of that nature. All right. No other questions. Oh. Now that you're at that point, do you also have? 
like uh, tutorial material available to walk someone through once they have this account, have things that they can do? We have a little bit of that. So we send out, I think if you sign up for a free account, you get a few drip marketing emails that suggest some queries that you can start to run. Um, we also have uh, some training that's in process, you know, especially as corporations are buying the data more so. We have some of that. But we are working on doing some videos uh, that are you know, available for the, for the public. Great question. And we also have you know, a support team, myself included, that is willing to answer any questions. <laughs> any other questions? All right. I think we're good.